Today's uh, sermon is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, and going through the end of the chapter. Listen to these words that Paul writes in chapter 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. But if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, would there be, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. As we've been uh, walking through um, this season of Epiphany, we've walking through Manifest, and one of the ways that this really, this idea, this concept of Manifest really manifested itself to me was uh, what took place a few years ago on a mountain in Granby, Colorado, it was the time when Melissa and I were getting married. Not a time, the only time, the one time that Melissa and I were getting married. And uh, this concept of manifest became most real to me. And I wrote about it in my journal, and I wanted to share that with you as a personal entry this morning. This is what I wrote down on that day. It was fitting to be here on a mountaintop for such a special occasion. I feel that I have journeyed through the valley most of my life the highs and lows, the ebbs and flows. Most of my journey in the valley was driven by my own sin. And some of that journey was also due to the sin of others. But nevertheless, the valley looks the same, feels the same, and definitely isn't as pleasant as as this mountaintop. Here before God and these people, I make a covenant with my best friend and the love of my life. 
This union is providential. Two different paths, two different life experiences, two different personalities, two different skill sets coming together as one in marriage. Though I have done this before, there is something different and special about this moment. The story of ours could not have been written by anyone else besides God. You see, the life I have lived, the story of my past, would have never been satisfactory to anyone. No woman in sharing with them my past would consider me a viable option for dating, let alone marriage, unless God himself prompted them. Many, although I imagine everyone, would not have written this kind of love story. Yet this type of story God tends to write the most. How the undeserving are given the most cherished and prized gifts. This is more than a story about love. It's a manifestation of grace. When I stand before Melissa here on this mountaintop, I can only believe that she is the manifestation of God's grace to me in my life. All the sleepless nights, the tear-filled prayers, the calling out for God to have mercy upon me and show me grace has been answered in a person. As if God has spoken. Bruce, this grace I give you, not that you have earned it, but I gift you, Melissa, out of my loving kindness for you, to show you my love towards you, that you would follow me, the good and loving Father, all the days of your life. And so on that mountaintop, the manifestation of God's grace became my wife. Now, that's a personal story, but now we turn to a personal letter, one I just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's a letter of Paul. And Paul's letter is to a specific group of people, the church of Corinth. It's a group of people with different walks of life, different life experiences, different skill sets, and how they come together to manifest the presence of Jesus to the world and to each other. Paul speaks to the church by painting a picture of how they are a body. And not just any body, but, a, but the very body of Jesus. By painting this picture, Paul seeks to communicate the church's relationship to Jesus, the importance of each of its members, and the church's significance in the life of each and every believer. In order for us to fully understand this analogy about the body, we have to understand Paul's theology about the body and its relationship to Jesus. In this, we begin to look at verse 12. We see in verse 12 that Jesus is connected to a body, a specific body. For verse 12 says this, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Right out of the gate, what Paul is saying here is, I'm giving you a portrait. I am giving you an analogy of the body. We understand the body. This is a body. These are arms, legs. Inside is a heart. Inside is a brain. These are eyes, ears. We understand that. Okay, we understand what he's about to paint. But he's wanting you to understand this analogy is for Jesus, our understanding of Jesus' role in our lives. He's connecting Jesus with a body. And in order to fully, completely understand and unpack all the nuances of what Paul is going to unravel, we kind of have to go to another letter he writes to the Church of Ephesians. And he says something that has been revolutionary in my own life. In Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23, check this out. Jesus considers himself 
incomplete without his body. Listen. And he, the Father, had put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church. Listen. Verse 23. Which is his body? The fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, if you're theological uh, like I am, oftentimes you're like, wait, time out. Are you saying Jesus is incomplete? Are, are, are you saying, Paul, that Jesus, fully God, fully man, is incomplete in and of himself? There's just no way. There's no way he would be saying that. So what is he saying here? He is saying that Jesus considers himself. It's not that he is incomplete, but he considers himself incomplete without his body. You don't decapitate the head from the body. They are connected. We see this even in our own marriages. As a a husband and a wife come, the two become one flesh. They're inseparable. They have one identity now. So Jesus considers himself incomplete without the body. We need to understand this as he unpacks and paints this portrait for us. Next, we need to understand Jesus' relationship to that body. And again, I'm going to be pulling from Ephesians 5, another letter that Paul wrote, just to kind of give us a full-orbed understanding of where Paul is going. Now, a lot of us know this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. It's read in all the marriage ceremonies that we can ever attend. And so instead of paying attention to the wives and the husband pieces of this passage, pay attention specifically to how Jesus' relationship is to his bride, a.k.a. his body. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her, cleansing having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh nor nourishes it or cherishes it, Just as Christ also does um, the church, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall join to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. Let me say that again. For this reason, the son left the father to unite to his bride and become one with her and bring her to where he is. This mystery is great, Paul says, but I am speaking about marriage, but namely about Jesus and the church. And so right out of the gate in this passage, and back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we see that this imagery that he's painting for us, the body about the body and what he's about to unfold to us, is a connection, and we're to understand this in light of our relationship to Jesus. That Jesus considers this body a significant thing. He considers it his bride. He says, I am incomplete without her. I consider myself incomplete without her. And Jesus says, I am the head of this body. 
If you were to remove the head from the body, the body cannot function. It is dead. You can decapitate a body and it will fall limp on the floor. And it won't function. It won't move. That's what Paul is saying. Paul has given us a great survey of this understanding of the relationship between Jesus and his body. How Jesus considers himself incomplete, even though he's not incomplete. How Jesus leads the church. How the body functions in light and relationship of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. He just doesn't say that Jesus is incomplete without his body. He also says the body is incomplete without its member. Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. And so what he's going to unfold in this image is that as we talk about specifically Harvest Point, this church, the body of Christ, that you, each and every person here, those who claim faith in Jesus Christ, those who have been marked to be a part of his family by baptism are all a part of it. All are included. All matter in the body. Look at verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we all are made to drink of one spirit. This is good news for all of us who come from different walks of life, have different life experiences. This is good news for every single person in this room. Nobody is left out right now. I am talking to every person. I may not know all of your names, but this is for us here at this body in this church. What Paul is about to reveal and unfold in this portrait and analogy he's referring to as the body. You matter. If you're a Jew, if you're a Greek, if you're an Alaskan, Alabama, from Tennessee, wherever you come from, if you believe in Jesus and have been marked by baptism, you are a part of the body. You matter. You have a role in this body that's in relationship to its king, Jesus. Look at verse 15 through 17. For if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? You have a role and a place in this body, and you need to understand it. You need to grasp it. You matter. You are essential. You are needed here. Because without a band, we wouldn't be led in singing. But without the singing, there would be no need for the band. Without the reading of Scripture, we would not know how to guide our lives. Without those who are listening to the word of God and applying it to their lives, there would be no way for us to be encouraged by others experiencing the word of God active in their life. We need each other. We need you. We need people who are committed to living out that gift that God has given them in his body. Because what Paul is saying here is that we're incomplete without you. I mean, every single person here. You you think about just the body, and if you were to cut off its arm, we would feel the phantom pains of that missing part. 
we would not feel as complete as we know we should be because we're without the arm. We're without the eye. And if you just put an arm on a shelf, it's not a body. We need it. Let there be no confusion, guys. When you're not here, and if you're not participating, your presence and your, or your absence is felt. I feel it. Because I don't want to do this thing alone. I will, but I don't. Those who are here, those who are here, long to be a part of this family, of this body, which means it includes you by name. Because as Pastor Marshall preached last week about the gifts, if you believe in Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, then you're given the Spirit. And when you're given the Spirit, he gives you and equips you with gifts to serve in the body for the common good. And so when you're absent or when you're not active in the body, we, we are missing something. Without the children present in the church, we don't get that image and the life of uh, faith lived out before us. Like Jesus says, have faith like a child. Without the older generation, we don't have the life experience and the wisdom that they can speak into us as we navigate from life. Without the young, we don't get to see the vibrance of living life with just new fresh eyes and new situations and experiences and and all kinds of things that they bring with their passions. We need it all. Without media, we cannot speak the word to those who are shut in or who are not able to come here. We need them. Every single person is needed. I need you. Jesus considers himself incomplete without you. We're including everybody from all walks of life, from all kinds of things that, are, that have happened to them. I was at a, doing a neighborhood Bible study on Tuesday nights. And uh, <clears throat> we're getting to know each other, uh, these men from our neighborhood, literally like next door neighbors. It's, it's been a, a, a great providential thing that God has orchestrated bringing together. And we're sitting there, we're going over through Psalms, and we're just kind of like sharing our life stories. I and mean, usually I get ner- nervous to tell people I'm divorced because it usually comes with certain preconceived ideas about people and me, which I just had to get over, right? And so I was a little nervous of, of sharing this information with them. Come to find out, as I shared it, three out of the four of us are divorced. We're all believers in Jesus, and there's some kind of common bond that you get to share when you, when you can experience other people who have gone through the same thing as you. But not only are you needed, not only are you included, You need to be included. Not only do you have a role, but you have a purpose. And it's intentional. And it's by God's design. Look at verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. See, you don't get to serve in the body. You don't get to be a part of the body. God has placed you here. God desires for you to be active here. He's not asking you to employ your own 
personal gifts as much as he's asking you to employ the gifts that he's given you by his own desire. Serve each other. While Jesus is gone and has prepared a place for us, he says, I'm going to leave my family to care for each other. To be the manifestation of Jesus' presence in each other's life. But not only does Jesus feel incomplete without the, the body, not only is the body incomplete without you, but you are incomplete without the body. Verse 20. Paul flips it back around and says, but now there are many members, but one body. He doesn't leave it just to define the body by a bunch of members. He flips it back around and says, now all those members are one body, a collective. And you need others in your life. Look at verse 21 and 22. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. So you're, you think that your role or your purpose within this body may be very little. It may just be on Sundays or whatever you find your role here is or what you have defined your role to be is insignificant. Paul says it is very significant and it's needed. Whatever little that you bring, whatever your giftedness is, do not compare it to other gifts. You compare it to what God has asked you to do with it, and that is to serve in his body, to be a part of the body. For a body does not function unless it has everything working in it and present in it. You need others in your life. For you to deny the value of your brothers and sisters in your life is you, for you to deny the reality of the gospel that says we need each other and is for this that we do for one another. I had the privilege this week to read some pagan manuscripts about how they defined the early church, what their perception was from the outside in. and They were very uh, degrading about the church, but you know what they said about them? What they said about the early church, the people that were believing in Jesus and living in community together, like, yeah, these guys get up before the break of dawn to sing and recite what they believe. Then they go to work. Then they come back and they feast together with eating ordinary foods in the evening time. If one of them gets thrown in jail because they claim to believe in this crucified Messiah, they go and visit him and they take care of every one of his needs. And if, and if one of them is hungry, you know what they do, he says? They will fast until they get enough money to go and get whatever that person, brother or sister, needs. And they call everybody brother. That's a pagan's view of the early church. The body of Christ. And that was very powerful for me this week. Well, they out there say the same things about us. We need each other. Sometimes I don't come here joyful. Sometimes I come here struggling, and I may need to hear forgiveness from one of you. I may need to, to be restored to the joy of Christ's salvation in my life. 
Maybe I need to be reminded of a truth that I've long forgotten. And who else is supposed to do this in my life? I could go to God's word, but God also says you can go to my people. We need each other. And we need each other because we need unity and care. This is the very thing that I see all the time in our culture, of people longing to belong, people wanting to be a part of something, people wanting to be unified, people wanting to be cared for. Look at verse 25 and 26. He says, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. I hope that we can be a body where you can come in and you can be spurred on to encouragement because we're all rejoicing together because somebody got saved or the Lord has done a mighty work in the lives of one of us and we can rejoice. But if one of us suffers, I pray that each and every member of the body comes around side and builds them up and encourages them and speaks the truth to them because I guarantee there's go- there is a one who wants to speak lies to them and bring them and drag them away to the dungeon. We can stop that. You need others You need somebody to speak into your life, to bring care and unity and rejoicing into your life. And you need connection with Christ. Look at verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Paul is connecting you to Jesus. And how is he connecting you to Jesus but through his body? If you want the presence of Jesus in your life, and if you want more of it, you won't find it out there. You'll find it right here. You'll find it in that person, and that person, and that person, and all of us individually together. If you're struggling, if you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, I guarantee How Jesus walks along with you in that valley is manifested in our bodies right here as members. We can usher in the very presence and comfort of Jesus Christ by being together. You need connection with Christ and that connection with Christ is right here. Yeah, you... We do devotions. We read the Bible on our own. But Jesus never intended you to be a lone ranger out there, individual by yourself. He saved you so he can bring you in to his family where his, where his presence is ever flowing. You know, just to give another analogy here, Paul uses the body. I'm going I'm to use something I don't know a whole lot about, but I understand a small function of it. Consider a car. Consider a vehicle. What Paul has just been walking us through is that he talks about the church the way we can talk about a car. Open up the hood of a car, and what are you going to find? It's engine. You're going to find a, a windshield wiper fluid container. You're going to find a spark plug. You're going to find a battery. You're going to find a, a sil- cylinder, cylinder, well, yeah, whatever, cylinders. You're going to find all sorts of things. I'm not a mechanic, but I kind of understand how it works. 
pull out the spark plug, see if that vehicle runs. It's a small part, right? We don't need that. We do. Don't fill up your windshield wiper fluid on a snowy, rainy, icy day. See how far you get down the interstate before your whole uh, windshield is frozen and dirty and you can't see through it. Then all of a sudden you might be driving, but you're going to end up in the ditch. That matters. Paul says we are all a body, but we have members. And he just opens up the hood to the car and he says all of this, every single piece has a purpose has a role. And then he shuts the hood and he steps back and he says, see the vehicle. All of those things working together, now that's the car. And all those things functioning and performing as they were intended to makes the car go from this place to the other. All the working parts doing their job, using themselves as they were intended, make the machine a vehicle to carry the presence of Jesus from one place to the other, from one person to another. You see, church, if we, don't function, if we couldn't function without you, you would go nowhere without the church. That's what it's saying. Like, if you're not a part of it, then our vehicle doesn't move. And if our vehicle doesn't move, then you can't take the presence of Jesus anywhere in your life. Because you're not connected. You're not connected to the body. Don't just take Paul's word for it. 1 John 4.12 says this, No one can see God at any time if we love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We can literally love others and love each other and love others, and they will see the presence and feel the presence of God. That's what John is saying. So much similar to what Paul has been telling us. You know, usually I'm kind of wired in such ways that I can point out how things aren't working. I'm kind of the negative Nancy a lot of times, and maybe you've experienced this if you heard me preaching a few times. I like to hammer on the things that we're not doing and the things that we ought to be doing. And though I don't think that's wrong, I think there's a time and play for, uh, place for it, let me switch it around today. Let me try to be a little bit more encouraging by painting a picture of what if we actually became the body, the full orbed, the full body of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to sit here and, and say, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. Let the Holy Spirit allow you to consider what you may or may not be doing. But let me paint the picture for you of the benefit of the body if we all decided to be a part of the body. If we all considered ourselves incomplete without being the body of Jesus. Imagine the effect it would have on others. Imagine right now people in your lives, your friends, your families, or people that you just run into at work who are really struggling right now, who are trying to find something to ease their pain. And they're going to go find this. They're going to go find that. And imagine that you are the one that has the presence of Jesus living inside you, that you can go take that good news and love to them. 
Because you know that the thing that they're trying to replace, what Jesus should be feeling, is never going to do anything for them. It's going to continue them down a path that they don't want to be, that they're trying to get out of, but they don't know how. They're swirling around in the tub, just spinning around. You can break that cycle by bringing the presence of Christ in their life. How do you do that? By being a part of the body. Imagine the effect of others. Imagine the change of our society and how they view marriage and how they view counseling and how they view themselves and how they view their identity and all those things when we bring the truth and the love of Jesus and the presence into their life as the body. Imagine the effect it has on others. Jesus can use circumstances, his own circumstances, to work grace into their lives who are undeserving. But I believe Jesus would much rather use his body to manifest his grace to others. The body of Christ can accomplish more than any act passed by Congress, any organization seeking to make change, any mandated force by the president. But the question is, why aren't we living into the power of influence and commit to change? Are we only content with personal change, or should we also believe in community and country change? Are we charged to usher in the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? Let me just put it this way. What Paul is saying here I think is drastic, that we should not be praying for better senators and better presidents. We, presidents. What we have the power is the very presence of God that when he came, and we can read about his stories in the Gospels, he changed the world. And now he says, you're my body, you're connected to me. Guess what? You can change the world too. Not governments. We can do that. But we're not necessarily fully doing that because we're missing some people. We feel the phantom pains of, their, of them not being here. And we're waiting to be the full body so that we can bring the kingdom of God to this world on earth as it is in heaven. And we often succumb to the idea that, well, we just are going to wait for a better present. We're just going to wait for, you know, laws to be put in place to save uh, unborn babies. And that's a small view of the body. May I challenge you to have a big view of the body of Christ and the power and the potential that we have that has been displayed in Jesus' own life. We can do the things that Jesus demonstrated to us because we are a part of him. We are his body. Imagine the effect of the church, not just to the effect of others in our community, but the effect right here. How much more healthy our relationships can be. How much more healthy if we're encouraging and building each other up. Imagine that. Imagine if we were literally that uh, community of old who are gathering all together, reciting what we believe, because the culture opposes us and opposes what we believe. Imagine if we were all together, loving each other as we need to be loved, as Christ has loved us, pouring into each other's lives, teaching each other, helping each other, encouraging each other to worship and to sing, to be that community. Imagine the impact it would have here at Harvest Point, how healthy spiritually we would be, how healthy in our personal lives and our relationships and our marriages we would be because we are using all the resources that, are in, that have been gifted to this body in our lives. Imagine the health of our church, Harvest Point, if we had this mentality and lived it out.
It would probably result in not being satisfied until all its members are engaged in working together for a common purpose. Meaning we would never be satisfied at Harvest Point until everybody who's a part of her is doing something and engaging and participating and we're making change in the world and in the lives of others. And lastly, imagine the effect it would have on you. Imagine the effect it would have on you. Consider how incomplete your life is without the church. Maybe some of us are kind of living that reality and we're blinded to it. But imagine, imagine how your life would change if you plugged into the body, if you served utilizing the gifts that God has given you in the body. How much would you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Imagine that. It's as if God the Father says, this body I give you, not that you have earned it, but it is a gift from my son to you out of my loving kindness for you, that you would love me and love others as I have loved you, that you would bring my presence into the life of my family and into the lives of those I want to make my family. Would you consider what your life, what this church's life, and what this world can be if we were committed to being more of the body of Christ? Would you consider letting go for a moment, for a season, just to try and see of the lesser things that this world offers you in order to gain greater things like being called the body of Christ and orienting your whole life around her? Would you consider that? Would you open your ears and your eyes to what the Holy Spirit might be moving you to do? There's a feeble way, and I'm not trying to promote an idea, but this is what motivates and drives. It's our theology about what we understand. We've asked about this faith promise, and I know this sounds like very, oh, you just want to check these things off. It's just like, well, well how else? I feel your absence sometimes. I feel the phantom pains. And we're just trying to get whole. What are you gifted in? Where would you exercise that gift here? Instead of us saying, hey, this is what you get, why don't you tell us what, this, what the Holy Spirit is gifting you in? And where can we serve? That's all this is for. So would you just consider, maybe there are some lesser things that you have to let go in order to be more a part of the greater things, the things that last for all eternity. There's only one thing that is going to continue on living in the presence of Jesus, and that's the bride because it's his body. Thank you, Lord, for that encouraging word and helping us frame who we are together in this room. And what's cool is that 
after all Paul says right there, as he paints that portrait, as he gives us that image of who we are in Christ and how we could take Christ to others and how we could be the manifestation of the presence of Jesus himself to others and to the world, he says in verse 31, and I show you a still more excellent way. And that's where I leave to my best friend, besides Melissa, Marshall, where he's going to tell you that more excellent way next week. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this word would be understood as your word to us, how we can be your body, but that our individually, our individuality still matters. Each member matters, that it's just not about the collective whole, but it goes all the way down to every individual member here, every person here that claims to believe in your son, Jesus. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place, that it would cause every mind and heart to consider their lives in relationship to you, which means to consider their life in relationship to your body. I pray that you would convict us and reprove us where we need to, but Father, encourage us on what our life can look like if we completely surrender all we have to you and we do all that we do for you and that we utilize all that we are given for you and to see how radical our lives and how wonderful our lives could be, how, this, how wonderful this church can be and how the change in the world that we desire so much can begin to take shape. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.